Hey folks, welcome and uh, thanks for listening to my podcast. My name is Damon and this is Theater Tales of the Techie. And I'm trying to push this in during my lunch on February 20th, 2024. And I've just been really busy, folks, between my family and this project I'm working on. I'm not even working on my model airplanes or my drones. I'm not doing any side jobs for friends. It has consumed my entire freaking life, which is very exciting. <clears throat> now, if I sound tired, sorry. I've, I've talked to a couple of people this morning that says, you know, Damon, you sound tired. Hell, I don't know if I'm tired. But if I sound tired, I'm not. So let's jump into this one. So, folks, I want to share... I want to share something when I was working at the Lily Theater that happened that I remember like it was yesterday. But but to to really explain this, and I'm not sure if anybody's going to connect to this, and if you don't, I'm sorry, I'm just wasting your time. But um, when I was a kid, I had an interesting childhood. That's all I want to say, okay? And for me to find my happy place, it was either... Uh, doing things like erector sets. If you don't know what erector set is, look it up on, um, just type in erector set on Google. And I think they started around 1900 or 1905 or something like that. And the ones back then were huge girders and bolts and nuts, and you could build like bridges and stuff. The ones that I got back in the 60s were kind of a sellout. They were still cool, but they were a lot smaller than the ones that were originally made in the uh, beginning of the century. Um, but basically you could build like the Eiffel tower, you could build a clock tower, you could build a roller coaster, but it was all steel and bolts and nuts. And it was really, really cool. And then, um, I was really into Heath kits. <clears throat> My uh, friend's dad who worked for RCA got me into Heath kits and a Heath kit is where you could build your own AM FM radio or your clock radio, or you basically got a box full of electronics and you soldered them together. Well, they came in both solder and non-soldered kits, but I like the soldered kits. Um, had a little amplifier. You had to know the high voltage versus the low voltage side. The low voltage side was usually like 12 or 6 volts, something like that. The high voltage was 120 volts, which could kill you if you, you know, stuck your hands on it. Um, and I think I've shared another podcast that I used to go around all the time to trash cans. And it seemed like a lot of kids didn't like erector sets. Okay, so their parents would buy it for Christmas and come March or April, throw it away. And I would go around and dumpster dive and build some incredible things with erector sets. But, and I'll get to how this ties into something cool that happened at the Lily Theater in a minute. Okay. Um, but there was uh, a time when I was probably 12 or 13 that uh let's see i will probably would have been 13 yeah thir about about 13 my brother who's five years older than me and because of that age difference we never connected back then um we were never close but he went to, he went off to college which i thought was cool because now i got the bedroom all to myself i could set up my erector sets i could do any and everything i wanted well at the end of that first year of college he comes home and he had like one of those milk crates full of albums, records. And in it was music I'd never heard of. Now, keep in mind, before that, I only pretty much listened to whatever was on the radio or like the Beatles. Okay, everything back then was the Beatles. I'm talking about 
probably the mid 1970s. Okay. Uh, like 76 probably or 75. And, um, so he, he comes home from college, um, and dumps off a lot of the stuff that he had, um, in his dorm his first year, uh, and then got an apartment with some friends. So now I had this, uh, milk, uh, uh, crate. And if you don't know what a milk crate is, Google that people used to have milk delivered to the front door or they still get, um, through Schwann or whatever, not Schwann, um, you can still get that really good thick chocolate milk delivered to your front door in the glass uh, bottles. But there were milk crates and albums fit perfect in it. So in it was like Genesis. This is the first time I was exposed to Pete Gabriel. And uh, uh, this was about the time that like the Lamb Lies Down on Broadway came out right before Pete left and Phil Collins became the lead singer, which I think was pretty cool because this is all going to tie together. Just give me a second, folks. So, um, there was a album in that, um, uh, milk crate by a guy named Jean-Luc Ponte, and he was a, uh, electric violinist. He had a clear acrylic or plexiglass violin and his music was really, it was jazz. I'd never heard anything like it in my life. I just lost my mind. So here I am listening to that stuff. I'm either working on a model airplane or an erector set or, you know, my, my nerd uh, Heath kits. And I remember listening to that one album. Um, oh, I can't remember what it was called. Isn't that horrible? I just listened to it last week on my iPhone. Um, but um, I probably listened to it for a month. And then as I went through the album, I found another um, group called Weather Report. And folks, this is where it's going to tie all together in a minute. Okay, all the stars are going to align in just a minute. So um, I fell in love with two bands, well, three bands, Genesis, Weather Report, and Jean-Luc Ponte. And I was just, I thought this was the coolest thing. And I still think this was like the birth of me really understanding and, and starting to fall in love with music. Now, today it kind of sucks because I'm almost deaf in my left ear because of a dimmer that blew up 20 years ago. It blew my eardrum out, and when it healed back, it healed back thicker, and I don't have a lot of high frequency in my left ear, which drives me nuts because, folks, music is one of my biggest passions in life. It's a way that I decompress. So um, this group called Weather Report, which, by the way, had a drummer named Chester Thompson who ended up being the touring drummer for Genesis after uh, Pete Gabriel left. So Phil was lead singer. The first tour, he used Bill Bruford, which was the drummer for Yes. But then after that, he used Chester Thompson. And, um, but Weather Report, folks, was really, really, really cool. Okay. Now I want us to time travel to like 1991, probably. And I'm working at the Children's Museum. And we had this uh, clipboard. And on the clipboard, it had a list of the next two months were the shows. And we had two groups that would come through the theater. One was called Ensemble Music and the other one was called Cathedral Arts. Ensemble Music was a group of people that would bring through different musicians through the theater throughout their season. And Cathedral Arts was basically based with a guy named Hedotaro Suzuki and uh, his wife, um, Zedaruga Suzuki. Um, and they, she was a pianist, he was a violinist, but they would bring in people that they liked to play with. 
Okay, so with Cathedral Arts, it was always going to be um, the Suzuki uh, uh, man and wife. But what was really, really <laughs> bad for me was virtually everything that Cathedral Arts or Ensemble Music brought through that theater was Beethoven, Tchaikovsky, just all this just horrible music that I didn't like. So normally I would just sit up in the tech booth. I would have my headphones on listening to Genesis or, or you know, Jean-Luc Ponte or whatever. Um, but by then, folks, honestly, I was listening to a lot of different music by then. King Crimson. Um, you know, I, there was a time that I really liked the Go-Go's. <laughs> so I did, I did widen my, um, I'm trying to think. Um, I fell in love with Tepesh Mode, but... I still had my ties back to that jazz music I loved. So I saw the name of a band and I didn't recognize it uh, uh, or a group. I never called them bands that came through our theater. I saw the name of a group and just thought that's an odd name. And I can't remember it today, folks. I, I uh, It was like the Mike Five or the Dan Five or something. It, it was just, it sounded almost like something you would never think would be in our theater. So about um, a month before the gig, I get a call from a guy and he says, Damon, my name's, I think his name was Jonathan. Now that I think about it, because this is Jonathan, I'm with, you know, this group and I'm just wondering what your lights and sound and all that is like. I said, we're only a 350 seat semi-thrust theater. I doubt you're going to need any sound reinforcement except maybe a mic downstage to talk to the audience. And I said, lighting, you can have anything you want that I can give you. Um, and I explained that, you know, we had some rainbow color scrollers and, you know, and he says, well, I don't really want the light to change during any of our pieces, but if we could mix it up a little bit in between livelier, livelier pieces and more mellow pieces, that would be wonderful. I said, look, you know, whatever you need. And he says, when can we show up to set up and just do a, a rough sound check? And I said, well, normally the piano tuner gets there about one. They'll be done by three. If you want to show up at four, uh, you can have the theater all that night and you can have it for the next two days because, you know, there's nothing going to be rented in here when you're here. So, um, which sometimes folks, we did have to have whoever's performing take all their instruments home with them because we might have a, a, you know, a show during the day or a rental, but on this one, we didn't. So fast forward, um, piano tuner's done. He's gone. Got a big grand piano that was delivered at like eight o'clock that morning these big huge guys bringing the grand piano then the piano tuner uh tunes it uh steinway i think is the pianos we always had brought in if i remember right i might be wrong uh it doesn't matter it's irrelevant so uh about 4 30 boom 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 knock on the back door i open it up and there's these six guys looking at me um or five guys i can't remember maybe it was like the dan six or Something, you know, I can't remember what it was called, but it's a guy's name and a number, okay? And they all look completely like, uh, ooh, I gotta be careful I say this. They look like roadies or musicians. They did not look like the people who played Beethoven or Tchaikovsky, okay? So, um, you know, I did my real quick introductions and we all just talked and then I showed them where the stage was. And I always kept that stage pristine, clean. The dressing rooms were spotless. So um, they start coming in and uh, the drummer's bringing in not a big drum kit, but pretty good size. I mean, not not like a Phil Collins or a uh, Neil Pert size, but, you know, it was a decent kit. 
Um, then I see some amplifiers rolling in with their speakers. And I'm like, holy crap, is this like rock and roll? And then I started seeing bongos and all this stuff. And I'm like, this is probably going to be more like jazz. You know, so I'm sitting here. But folks, I will tell you one piece of advice. Leave the talent alone. Just tell them where you're going to be. If they need you, they can, you know, either holler up to the tech booth or you could be, you know, uh, somewhere in that theater. But but don't, don't, you know, don't follow them around. You know, just let them be themselves, especially with actors and actresses. A lot of them are like they're psyching themselves up to be able to do what they've got to do. Just leave them alone. And actually, I've had people say, you know, Damon, you're you're an awful quiet guy. Has anybody ever told you that? And I'm like, no one's ever told me that. But just leave them alone. So they get the whole thing set up. And um, I think this guy's name was Jonathan, the more I'm thinking about it. And he's kind of like, hey, Damon, can can we kind of see what your lights are like? And I brought him up and he's like, whoa. And I said, I can splash these colors on the wall. I can do this. And all the musicians seemed like they were pretty psyched up because normally – I would find out later they played a lot of rooms that were like 800 seats or like a, a dinner theater types, uh, not a dinner theater, but you know, a, a dinner bar. They weren't used to having that small of a room with just the audience there to see them. Um, if I'm saying that right. So we get the lighting figured out. I'm going to tell him he's got a microphone downstage and they, play two or three different songs, just warming up and testing the acoustics in the room. And I told him, look, the acoustics are terrible right now, but once we've, and this was in the winter folks. And I told him once everybody's in here with their coats and their parkas and their minks and all that junk, this room becomes really, really dead. I mean, it's really alive right now, but it will become almost too dead. And they seem to really appreciate that. I knew that room as well as I knew that room. Okay. So, um, the next, I told him, be there at 6.30 the next night. I'm opening the door at 7 and we start at 7.30. But that always terrifies me, folks. It always scares the crap out of me. One of them gets sick or gets drunk or I'm, I, and luckily in all my years I did it, we never had anything like that. We had a clown break a leg one time, but we never really had a show just get canceled because of the performers um, or the talent. Except we did kind of can't, well, no, we still finished the show with a clown that broke his leg, but. Um, yeah. So, um, the next night about 20 after six, there's a knock at the back door, open it up and there's the guys, they come in and, um, they're like, you know, Damon, how much time do we have to just kind of make sure everything? I said, I'm not open the door till seven. You can make all the noise you want until seven. So they went through a couple of songs. Um, and folks, I want to tell you something that I've learned over the years. You can tell a really good drummer because they can control their volume on their own. I've met some young high school drummers that play loud all the time. That's all they know how to do is play loud. <clears throat> but this drummer, because of the size of our room and with the band, you know, we had a lead guitarist. We had, um, oh, a sax player that had like five different types of sax. We had a clarinet that had the two or three different clarinets. Everybody had like their, what they did, okay? And there was no lead singers. This was just jazz, Okay. And, um, uh, but this drummer was really good because a couple of times when they were, you know, doing their sound check, he asked me, he goes, Damon, how's the balance sound? I said, you guys are fantastic. It's going to be awesome in here. And you could tell that kind of jazzed them up too, because, you know, I, I had worked a long time in that theater and I knew how to make that theater sound good. And I knew what sounded good in that theater. 
So the assistant stage manager showed up to run the house with a couple of volunteers. And we had a volunteer stage manager backstage. And I went up to the tech booth and I got the little call um, that they're opening the house. They open the house, all the people start coming in. And I, you know, over the years, I just quit watching who comes into the house because early on I used to people watch, but you know, you get bored with that after so many years, but I did know we were sold out. All 350 seats were sold out. Um, and I was told we're going to have a little bit of standing room in the back of like local people who wanted to hear these people play that had clout. You know, we always had people from like Eli Lilly that could pull strings and, oh, I probably shouldn't say who pulled strings, but Indianapolis Motor Speedways here, we had people that would like, I want to see this. Well, we're sold out. We'll stand at the back of the house. Now, I don't know how that works with a fire marshal, but we definitely had, um, well, actually, no, I think our capacity could go about um, 25 people over the seating because of the back, how big the back area of our, our house was. So... Right at 7.30, um, you know, I, I get the call, says, go ahead and you know, dim the lights. I bring the house to half. Everybody gets seated. Then the uh, this Jonathan guy walks all the way down stage, goes to the microphone. I had a strong trooper at follow spotlight I would hit him with. just, And it's the only time I used the follow spot during the whole show was just to illuminate him anytime he's at that mic. So he said, thanks, everybody. It's exciting to be in Indianapolis. We're going to be in, you know, Lexington next week and Cincinnati. The day. You know, it's really cool that... This guy was just so laid back. I mean, he was, I don't know how to describe what he was like, but he was just really, really, he's just really laid back, really cool guy. Um, so he goes, you know, um, you're going to hear some more original music, but you're going to hear some music that's going to be very, uh, 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 you know, you're, you're, you're going to recognize it. You're, you're going to be songs that you're going to love. And that was a neat thing about this group is they played a lot of jazz that evidently all these people already knew, but they played some of their own personal music. But I got to tell you how this all ties back together now. So I'm sitting in the booth and um, for this particular show, I didn't have headphones on listening to my Genesis or whatever. Um, I was, I was really enjoying this. And I think it was like the fourth song in and folks, if you Google a song called, Bur called Birdland, and it's a song that Weather Report wrote about a, uh, I think it's a jazz club that's called Birdland. Um, but Weather Report wrote a, a, created a song called Birdland. And there's no way to mistake the way it starts on the keyboard. There's like these five or six notes that are really low frequency. And I'm sitting there and I remember playing as day. I wasn't even looking down at them playing. I If I remember right, I was... I, I was doing something else. I was listening to them, but I wasn't looking down at the stage. And all of a sudden I hear those notes of Birdland. And folks, it's almost like I had time, like traveled back to 1975, the very first time I heard Birdland in my bedroom with my Heath kits and my Rector sets. And I remember looking down at them. And when they started playing this song, I got goosebumps I got really, really excited. I was like, holy crap, Batman. You know, this really kick ass. Now, this is the type of crap folks that always played Tchaikovsky and Beethoven and all this terribly, you know, in for this night, we had a really kick ass band in there and they were playing Weather Report. And 
when they played that song, folks, and, and if you can go out and Google it and listen to the song, it might be boring as hell to you. And if it is, then shame on you. This is a really cool song. But for me, folks, there were probably, I don't know, a couple of dozen moments in my life in theater where something happened that just really changed the, the, the whole way. Um, I, I don't know how to say it, folks. It was so cool and I was so happy that I was a part of something that I knew would, would be in my mind the rest of my freaking life. So at the end of that night, and this is where you got to, you got to be cool, folks. You, you just got to be absolutely cool. So here I am giddy as crap, almost like, you know, one of those 16 year olds hearing the Beatles live. And uh, now I got to talk to these guys and help them, you know, get out the back door and go their merry way until the next night. So I go down on stage and, um, you know, they're all sweaty and hot. They're in the dressing room. You know, some of them are, you know, just, just changing clothes and all of this. Um, cause it was folks, I don't know how to tell it that room. I, we keep it like 69 degrees or 68, especially when we got all those people with all their coats in there. And these guys were all like, they had just run a marathon. That's how into it they were. It was so cool. So I go backstage and I'm just standing there quiet. And this one, uh, the drummer actually came out, said, so what do you think, Damon? And I said, um, you guys are awesome. And one of the other guys goes, really? And I go, yeah. And I, I, I said, I don't want to sound weird, but you played a song that as a child, I had never heard and fell in love with it. And I said it was Birdland. And the guy goes, yeah, we, we love to do a tribute to some different weather report songs. And I said, that was just the greatest thing that I've ever seen in this room. And one of the other guys goes, really? And I go, yeah, I go, guys, normally it's like Tchaikovsky and Beethoven and, uh, you know, just all this just dreaded stuff. And the one guy goes, yeah, that'd be pretty, that'd be pretty hard. That'd be pretty rough. <clears throat> and I, I, and one of the guys goes, so you like that kind of music? I said, well, you know, I grew up with Genesis, Jean-Luc Ponte. And the other guy goes, oh my God, John, we all grew up with Jean-Luc Ponte. And I, and I, I said, you know, if one of you would have pulled out a clear plastic violin, I probably would have fainted. So we all laughed about it, <clears throat> but I had to make sure I wasn't drooling all over them. Okay. <laughs> I, folks, I don't know how to describe how cool it was. So they all leave. I lock up the back door. I notify security to make sure the theater is locked down because all their instruments and stuff are there. And then I, um, I remember going out and jumping in my little, at the time, folks, I was driving a Suzuki Samurai that I'd bought for virtually nothing. Keep in mind, I'm broke, okay? But I'm living the life, okay? So I remember um, getting back to my uh, uh, apartment, and this is when we still had uh, uh, the uh, oh, voicemail machines that had the little cassette tapes in it. And, you know, I saw it was blinking and one of my friends, Mark, had called me to see what I was up to. And the girl I was dating was kind of like, hey, you want to hook up tonight? <laughs> you know, it's like 11 o'clock. So, um, and I probably was a terrible boyfriend, but I didn't call her back that night. But the next day um, I called her and said, you wouldn't believe this band that came in there. You would not, would not believe this band. Now, keep in mind, folks, I'm, what am I, 28? No, that would have been 80. Uh, you know, I was probably 30. 
or maybe this happened a lot earlier than I'm thinking. My God, folks, maybe this happened in like 86 or 87. This might have been 86 or 87 because now I'm thinking of that girlfriend I was dating and that was like 86. Isn't that horrible when we get older? But the next day, I know I told my girlfriend how cool it was and she's like, can I sneak in? I said, hell yeah, I'll sneak you in. And now folks, I can't get fired nowadays, but I wasn't allowed to have any friends or anybody in that tech booth. And I had all my friends in that tech booth. I mean, the security people would always do things that could get them in trouble. Um, so we had this pact that we would never narc on each other. So the next night, my girlfriend is kind of hiding in the tech booth. And she wasn't a huge fan of jazz, but she's, she understood why I liked it so much. She, she just, she totally got it. And then afterwards, you know, I got to hang around for them to load out. So she kind of went down. So folks in this museum we're in, the theater's in the basement, there's basically fire exits that go all the way to the fifth floor, all the way down to the basement, and they're always unlocked. And we use those to go between floors instead of going to the elevators or going up like the civilian ramp that goes up the middle of the museum. So she left the tech booth through this extra door we had and went down there and stood in the lobby like she was basically a patron. Uh, that would watch the concert. And then once everybody was gone and everything was empty, she would walk into the, the house and hang out until I was done. Well, she walked down by the stage and one of the guys, um, you know, said, Damon, how did we do? Cause I'm backstage. I'm like, you guys did awesome and everything. And they're like, is she waiting on somebody? I said, well, that's my girlfriend. He goes, Oh, well, cool. And he goes, well, what are you two doing? And I'm like, um, what do you mean? And he's like, you guys want to go out and get a bite to eat? Now, keep in mind, it's like 1035 or 1045. And I'm like, I don't know. They go, there's a Mexican place on the way to our hotel. We keep driving by. Is it got good food? And I'm like, yeah, I, I've never eaten there. <laughs> That's how boring I am. But I hear it's great. So, folks, until about 1, 1 15 at night, these five or six, I think it was six the more I'm thinking about it. Uh, yeah, it was definitely six. These six really cool guys, me and my girlfriend, all had Mexican um, and folks, I'll never forget this as long as I live. I mean, this is why I love theater. This is the reason I love the bandwidth of what I've done in my life. I mean, imagine this, you know, I walk out of high school and start fixing dimming systems and building speakers. Okay. In 82, I start to work at the Lowly theater. I worked there for about five years and left for a year to go do some stuff for a friend of mine and actually got my pilot's license. <laughs> and then I went back to the Lily and worked there another three or four years. Um, but folks, this was a chunk of my life that kind of pole vaulted me into knowing I could survive in the theater. I could make it in the theater. Now, imagine that day that I'm working in that theater and this salesperson named Fred who kept visiting me, selling me lamps, gels, fog machines, greatest guy, one of the most honest people I've ever known in my entire life. One day he says, hey, let's go to lunch. And I'm like, okay. And folks, I normally never had time for a lunch. But if he asked me to go to lunch, I'm going to figure it out. And I think I've told you this in the past podcast, but we went to White Castle. And that's when he says, why don't you come work for me? And folks, immediately I shut it down. Well, no way. I'm not going to leave the lily. I'm not going to, you know, I love doing this. You know, this is my life, you know. And we talked again um, about probably a month later. He's like, Damon, I really want you to come work for me. And I'm like, no. And we always went to White Castle. And I know if you don't know what White Castle is, folks. 
Some people hate them and some people love them. Okay. Um, I personally love White Castles and I'm sorry. I don't think I, I, maybe I'll go to hell for liking them. Um, But I think it was the third time that we got together. That's when he told me how much he's going to pay me. (laughs) And folks, I was barely making it in my apartment. You know, I had this piece of crap Suzuki Samurai. Um, If you don't know what a Suzuki Samurai is, look it up on the internet, folks. Because almost all of them nowadays, people have turned into like rock climbers. You know, it's, it's, I called mine the billy goat. It would go anywhere. It it would go through two feet of snow. But it, but folks, it had no air conditioning, had a convertible top and all the windows always cracked. So I was, I was gaffer taping the windows closed so the air wouldn't get in there in the winter. It was a terrible car, but I owned it. I mean, it was mine, but when my friend Fred Brown <laughs> told me what he's going to pay me to go work for a dealer, um, literally I was going to make $10,000 more a year. And back then folks going from like 22,000 to 32,000 a year, folks is life changing. It is life changing. And, um, and then, you know, I did that dealer thing for six or seven years until, um, I went to work for a rep firm. And then after that, manufacturers. But imagine back, it was probably 1987, the more I'm thinking about it. Imagine back in 1987, I think I'm going to do just a regular, terrible, just, oh my God, just, just almost like just terrible Mozart or some crap. But I end up hearing a really cool jazz group that plays Birdland. I mean, there's, there's nothing cooler in the world at that time. But who would have ever thought if somebody would have asked a 13 or a 14 year old Damon, Damon, do you think you're ever going to hear somebody play this, this, you know, uh, song live? Um, I, I probably would have said, I, I don't know how, how would I ever hear, you know, unless I went to like New York and heard weather report play, probably not. So folks, I just, I guess the reason I'm doing, and I know this is a bizarre podcast, but the reason I'm doing this is I want you to realize you really don't know what next year is going to be like. You really don't. You know, hopefully you've got a kick-ass job in this industry and you're loving it and you feel like you fit in. Um, or you're a student that's looking forward to the future. But I'm telling you, once you get into a job in this industry, once you've got your foot in the door and you get through your first two or three years and realize, yep, I, I can make it. This is for me. Your trajectory is nowhere but up. Because if you work on stage, Awesome. If you go to work for a dealer, awesome. If you go to work for a rep, awesome. If you go to work for a manufacturer, awesome. If you end up doing some of those weird things, well, and I shouldn't say weird, those things you would never think you would do. One of my friends, and I haven't talked to him in 10 years, um, we overlapped by one year in high school. My senior year was his freshman year. And he went on to... uh, being the lighting board op for some really, really, really big shows out in Vegas. And another friend one time said, yeah, but you know, don't you think there, there would have been more, you know, he could have you know done more. And I, 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 I felt offended by that. I'm like, what do you mean? He loves what he do. He's a lighting board op. I mean, I think he, 
did share and some other things. I mean, how freaking cool would that be, folks? If that's what you want to do. Um, I don't know if he's part of that Beatles thing or not, but he did some really, really, really neat things. And um, so, yeah, folks, that's it. I'm going to, I'm going to shut this podcast down. I, I just want everybody listening, especially if you're a college student or a high school student and, and you've got people talking to you, you know, saying, Oh, you could do this, or you could do this, or you might do this. Or even if your professor is telling you, well, you could be a lighting designer or a scenic designer, or a costume and stage manager. They've never worked for a dealer. They've never worked for a rep. They've never worked for the manufacturer. I doubt they toured. Okay. I, you know, if you want to know some of the most unbelievable things happening in this industry is one of my pals, I hadn't talked to in a couple of years. We've been talking lately. He's actually an engineer for the entertainment industry and he's done the engineering for Super Bowls. And honestly, I don't know if he came from the theater industry or not. Um, we're going to get together this next week. I, I, maybe I should get him on my podcast. Oh, and that's another thing, folks. I, I want to really apologize. I, I'm trying to line up all these people to get on my podcast. I've just been too busy with family in this top secret project I'm working on that I've called the Manhattan Project. Um, it is literally... so. Okay, I'm going to give you a hypothetical here without getting myself in trouble. So imagine I'm tasked with learning something. And what I'm going to learn, I thought, was going to have two or three different points of light. And when I went learned those two or three points of light, I then realized there's 15 other points of light I need to understand. And then once I know those 15, then I realize there's three or four more. Now, some people would say that's scary as hell. To me, that's exciting because I'm learning. I'm, 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 I'm moving the ball forward down the field. Okay. And as long as I'm moving forward, sure, there's going to be times I stumble and go backwards or, or something is misrepresented to me. Okay, let's say I'm wanting to buy a Ferrari and somebody goes, oh, it's got a 600 horsepower motor. Then I go to sign the check and they're like, well, it's only 450. I could get really pissed about that. Or I could say, I'll say, hell, it's a Ferrari. It's a check magnet. You know, if I was 22, I would be like <laughs> up to the armpits and beautiful women. Oh, I can't believe my podcast is deteriorating this fast. But folks, I'm just telling you, What's going to define you is how, how well you can handle that unknown, <clears throat> especially if you're, you get into developing anything. Because, folks, at the end of the day, somebody's hiring you to uh, hit a goal. It doesn't matter how you get to that goal as long as you're not stealing or killing people, okay? But getting that goal sometimes um, may take every bit of your uh, experience, your skills, all the people you know, it may take a hundred percent of it. But guess what? If you pull it off, it's, it, it, it will be one of the greatest things in your life. And that's the reason, folks, I'm so passionate about this. That's the reason. And, and folks, our industry right now is insane. I have never had more people reach out to me uh, you know, I'm going to say something that some of my friends are listening to. They, they, they might get offended by this a little bit. Okay. But I just want to be real with my audience. This last probably 24 months, I've had more friends call me up acting like, Hey, how's it going, Damon? Everything good. Yeah. 
Are you happy with your job? Yeah, okay. Well, how happy are you? They're basically wolves coming into me in sheep's clothing, basically saying, Damon, would you be willing to quit your job and go work somewhere else? And folks, um, I just wish people <laughs> would just call me up and say, hey, Damon, you want to quit your job and come work with me? And sp instead of spending 20 minutes of my time trying to prop me up and tell me how awesome I am and all this crap, you know, folks, our industry right now has this vacuum. They need controls people. They need project managers. They need um, VP of sales. They our industry has so many people retiring and so many people that's changed jobs after COVID. There is a massive vacuum. And folks, I love where I'm at right now. Um, and I hope you find that kind of gig where you really, truly love it. Now, are there going to be times that you just are like, oh, this sucks? Sure, there will be. I mean, that, that happens every time I look at my swimming pool in the winter and think that I got to open that bastard up so everybody can swim in it during the summer, okay? But is that pool a big enough pile of shit that I want to dig it up and just fill it in with dirt? Not yet. <laughs> it might be in another five years because <coughs> we're 12 years into that pool. And <clears throat> every spring, folks, it's, it's something. It's like... Um, Finally, I've got all my money saved. I need saved. And then I need a $3,000 liner or a new pool cover, you know? Um, and I, you know, paying my daughter's college and all the other crap I pay for in life. But folks, I have made decisions in my life to change jobs twice because of money. And both times were mistakes. And, um, uh, but I, I don't regret it because where I'm at right now is pretty cool. Uh, really cool. And folks, one day when I do retire, probably in eight or 10 years from now, and I have no way of offending anybody. Well, I can offend everybody and I won't give a crap. Um, I want to tell you how cool some things that I've done uh, recently are. And um, yeah, that's all I want to say, folks. I don't want to ever get myself in trouble because folks the people I work with right now are some of the greatest people I've ever met just flat out. Some of the neatest people I've met. And when you think of my 40 years in this experience, in this industry, when I look at all my friends like Tobin and Bill and uh, God, I gotta be careful who I rob. And I mean, Amy. And when I think of all the people and the newer ones I met like Miriam and all these different people, folks, that's what you're going to one day retire and realize that you don't just have a whole bunch of fake, fake Facebook friends. You've got a lot of real friends, people that really are there. Um, because folks, I think that's one thing that's weird today is everybody's like, oh, I've got a lot of Facebook friends. I've got 4,800 Facebook friends because of my model aviation stuff. But none of them really know. Well, I shouldn't say that. 12 or 13 know me. <laughs> Everybody else has no idea. So, um, but one thing about my aviation life and my theater industry is I've got a lot of really, 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 really cool friends and some of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. So that's it, folks. I'm going to shut this down now before I get myself in trouble. So everybody have an awesome day. Um, and rarely do I do one of these during my lunch. And I can't believe I didn't get texts or phone calls. I mean, this is like serendipity or not. I don't know if that's the right word, but karma that I didn't get um, 
Maybe my phone's actually on mute. Oh, my phone is on mute. I muted it. Yeah, I got three texts and none of them are that important. <laughs> so rock on, everybody. Have a great day. And um, if you're a mom and dad listening, please understand. I know I make fun at the end of my podcast that your kids could be all crack whores and crack addicts and all this. Um, and and I know that what I'm saying here is is probably technically incorrect. But my life has had me around a lot of different industries and only aviation and theater. Have I seen the type of passion out of my friends? I have a lot of friends that aren't in aviation or theater and I don't see that passion in them. I see to them that they're just working 40 hours a week to get to the weekend. And um, folks right now with this project I'm working on, I'm working seven days a week, but I love it. I love it. I love it. So rock on everybody. Take care. Oh, and one, one, one last thing. I got a text from somebody. I'm, I'm sorry, an email and said, Damon, if you're working seven days a week, how much money does that mean you're making an hour? <laughs> folks, I don't give a rat's ass. Okay. I worked a job one time, folks, where I was literally working 65 hours a week, literally. And when I figured out what I was making a, an hour, I was making less than a lot of my friend's <clears throat> that were reps at the time because they were commissioned sales. But that's irrelevant. If you love what you're doing and you're moving that ball forward, sure, the money counts to a certain extent. Believe me, especially when you, you pay your daughter's college off or pay for your daughter's college or save for your daughter's college or whatever the hell you want to call it what we did, me and my wife. Um, money does matter. But at the end of the day... <clears throat> I don't know if money's ever going to make you smile like I did when I heard uh, that band play uh, uh, Birdland. I don't think, you know, all the money in the world would have made me smile. Maybe it would have. Maybe I'm full of crap. Maybe if I won a $100 million lottery, I'd have a bigger smile. Um, actually, in hindsight, I probably would. But <laughs> I, love, I love this industry. So rock on, everybody. I know I'm like a dog seeing squirrels running around right now, aren't I? So take care, everybody. Have a great day. And I'm telling you, mom and dad, if your kids love theater, let them let them explore it. Take care, everybody. Have a great day. Bye-bye.